When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Be the best, and you got to pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you got to do a little extra things to get it. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co host, Rich Hammond Rich. How are we doing? Well, Jordan, I would say, much like Sean McVay and Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford and a lot of people, I'm glad to have Rams-Lions behind me. Yes. That's good. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about. Oh my God, randomly, we have so much more to talk about than we thought we would have. My goodness. I'm glad we waited. It's Monday night as we record this, and... uh, I'm really yeah, glad no, we waited. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone what I look like right now, Rich. <laughs> I think haggard is a kind word to describe my current my current state. A, a case of the Mondays, as they say. But Jordan, you're so nice, <laughs> Jordan. We uh, most of our hopefully uh, most of our subscribers by now have seen your story that was posted on the Athletic. But we have something really big to talk about here, and that is that we presumed. At least I presumed that we would not see Cam Akers on a football field again in any type of serious way, probably until OTAs at the earliest. And Jordan, you learned that we could see Cam Akers in the playoffs, which is shocking. And if you're the Rams, pretty damn exciting. So what do we know about that and how realistic is this? Yeah, I'll start with the with the basics. I spoke with Sean McVay about this topic, something that I've been picking at for the last couple of weeks because his progress reports have looked really positive um, from what he's been sharing. And the it, it's not even really a, a a hope from Sean McVay at this point. The playoffs are a hope, obviously. They hope they make the playoffs. That's a cautiously optimistic statement, and he never wants to put – his eggs in one basket. But when I, I spoke with him on the phone, um, he said, if Cam Aker, if we make the playoffs, we expect Cam Akers to be available and, and ready to play and to play. And he even went so far as to sort of dream up the personnel. Like if you get to scroll all the way to the bottom guys of the article. And if you get to that, like he even went so far as to talk about how like kind of excited he was to feature Cam and Daryl on the field at the same time, two back sets, rich. We talked about this. Wow. Oh, my Lord. We talked about this before Cam got hurt. So that's, you know, that's what we know. The story's up on theathletic.com. And I think, like, I definitely want to mention that to not have a a good finger on the pulse of what was happening here at the initial phase is completely understandable (laughs) considering how messy and confusing it was at the start. Um, And including myself. I mean, you guys, like, I was told um, by people in that building that it was a season injury, 
season-ending injury. Achilles tears are often season-ending injuries. But there is a really interesting procedure sort of taking place here and unfolding of the rehab process with cam makers and some of the things that um, they may be, you know, looking into and trying and, and the way that he's been working at it, um, where what seemed to be an impossibility and I think was a realistic impossibility as well um, could actually be something that they're now it's turned into a source of optimism for them. And, and, and I genuinely think that this is something that they are expecting. And I believe that I wouldn't have written it if I didn't believe it to be possible based on some of the things that, um, you know, I think that they're trying in this regard. And, uh, initially to go all the way back, initially this was confusing because, um, of the way that it was stated as a transaction on the Rams page, they stated it as a a non-football injury, um, on the Rams official transaction page. And, uh, being, of course, it, it's it's able to be a non-football injury because he suffered the the injury itself um, by wor- he was working away from the facility, so it was able to be classified as non-football, and it and it was in a non non-football specific um, workout. That sources told me that he had been doing this was back at the time, but the interesting thing, and this is where it kind of got real messy, was the initial thing was, oh, he's a, he's going to go on injured reserve. Okay, well then they pull that that gets pulled back as these guys start to have their conversations about what might be possible and what they might try and and all of this. And um they pull that back and they say, "Well, what if we because it's a non-football injury, we can designate him as such and therefore continue to leave open the possibility that he could return." And I want to read this excerpt from the story because it was really confusing and I myself and I fully admit this, I myself did not have a full grasp until like July 29th or 30th when the official league transaction was filed, the official league transaction um, had a different designation than maybe was originally expected that left the window open, and that is what um, is workable with the Rams situation. So let me read this excerpt from this because this was the number one question was, you know, first of all, can he come back? And second of all, how could this be possible um, considering where wh- what his status is in terms of um, the, you know, the roster designation? So here here's the thing. So... So if if Cam Akers had gone on injured reserve prior to the Rams' initial 53-man roster cutdown, he would not be able to return at all, and that's league protocol. But instead, he went on the non-football injury list, which does allow a player to return at some point in the season, even if placed on it before the initial 53-man roster was established, if that player were officially designated as, quote, active slash NFI. So active non-football injury list, Okay. On the NFI list, there can be two designations, reserve, which indicates a season-ending injury, and you cannot come back from reserve NFI. Active means that the team retains the ability to bring the player back. Okay, so here's where things got real freaking, excuse me, real freaking confusing. As you can see, it's it's been a moment. Um, the Rams' official transaction page listed Cam Akers simply as non-football injury as their designation. And that is what he has been listed as on every single roster that has been printed out every single week and, you know, in, in the in press releases and all that. However, the designation was officially filed to the NFL's official transaction page by the Rams on July 28th as, quote, counts on active list, which means active NFI, which means Cam Akers has the flexibility to return if he can. It feels like you had to like subpoena these records or something. 
Well, it's been a process, and I, I'm sorry in advance. I don't always have the immediate answer, and I'm not always immediately, you know, right. But I try to get right, and this was certainly one of those cases where, oh my God, Rich, like holy moly! I mean, I holy moly! Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it sounds like you know. It sounds like the Rams had this thought at least right and i know this is, yeah oh yeah they did it they did what they yeah. needed to it was just the way you know it, it's they they filed the designation as as that left them the possibility yeah. for sure so yeah for i mean for those who, who who maybe didn't see it a few days ago i mean cam Akers has been as a lot of players do kind of chronicling his his comeback and and uh you know posted some some videos and uh you know, he's, he's obviously working himself back into shape. Um, we'll see. I mean, it's a torn Achilles. Uh, it's it's not a small injury. And it's it's very, you see him more often in the NBA. But I, I think the most recent one we saw was was Marlon Mack uh, in, in Indianapolis, which was early last season. And he was out for the full year and ended up coming back. He did participate in OTAs and he's been back. Uh, this season, but it's tough. I mean, you've seen him in guys like Richard Sherman, uh, Des Bryant a few years ago. Uh, it's a very, very serious injury. So to to think that Cam Akers could come back after tearing his Achilles in in July, and uh, basically you would be looking at what a six month recovery, six months, probably and that, minimum, and that's to yeah. get on the field. I mean, you know, a lot of the times when, when these, you know, teams or doctors, whoever say, oh, it's a six to nine month, you know, timeline, the six is usually, okay, you can start that process of like ramping yourself up to, to be, there's a big difference between like, okay, you're cleared to do something and you're cleared to go play football or, or basketball or whatever it may be. So to think that he could uh, or is maybe even likely at this point to, to actually get back on the field in January in that six-month window is pretty extraordinary. So I imagine, uh, you, I mean, we joke about the you know the two back sets and things like that. I would bet good money that Sean McVay is already sitting there thinking about how he can scheme up uh, having Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle, whoever it may be, like what that playoff game plan uh, would look like because that really would be a game changer if if they could get a guy back like that, fresh, healthy for the start of the playoffs. I can't even imagine. Yeah, safely is probably that was the number one thing that I kept pressing Sean McVay on when we were on the phone was like, all right, this you know how how can you make sure that you guys do this safely? And, and I, as as Rich, I'm sure you can imagine um, there's a much bigger story happening here. Um, this is just the tip. This is just a piece of it. And, um, and I think that that's the, the phrasing he used was understanding what return to performance means versus return to play return to play being the guys on the field or can join like join practice or his window opens return to performance encapsulates a safe return to doing the things that they expect him to do. And there's some great quotes from him in that story. I urge you guys to go read that in full. Um, subscribers, it's definitely not. I mean, you, <laughs> it was fa- it was fascinating, fascinating sort of peek into where they're at in, in parts of this process, which um, I think only opens the door to a, a lot more bigger of a conversation and a lot bigger of a dialogue here. But I think 
Um, the interesting part was how much progress they believe he's already made. Sean McVay said that he's running um, at 80% capacity at 10 miles an hour, um, which is important. That's uh, that's a landmark for them in terms of gauging where his progress can be. Um, he's he's back working on the side. What you know, media has not seen this. We've seen this via his Instagram video um, because we only see stretching at this point in the season. But um, you know, it, it's it's pretty remarkable so far. And I want to I will say too that the way that Sean McVay lights up talking about this guy in terms of the work that he's put in behind the scenes on this. Um, just, I don't think, I mean, Matthew Stafford, when he first signed him, that's the only guy that I can maybe compare it to in terms of like the, you, you usually can describe when someone's face lights up, but this dude's voice lights up. And there's some quotes in there on that too, where um, Cam Akers, they were like gonna, at some point he was gonna be, uh, he's fast tracking to team captain. Um, McVeigh indicated that he like really believed that Cam Akers would be a team captain this year if he were healthy. That's kind of remarkable. I mean, I, I don't say any of this to take away from what Daryl Henderson has done. What Daryl Henderson has done has been tough and needed and explosive and steady. He's at 4.3 yards per carry. He's certainly in the lead back role. Um, Sony Michelle has provided a good steady compliment. I think they're fine where they're at right now. Um, I will add, I will note too, and we we'll, I know we're going to get to this in a minute. I will note that, the, that McVeigh did not also did not look at this as like, oh, that means we're not going to go after any more free agents now that Jake Funk is hurt and out for the, we know for sure out for the year with the torn hamstring. <laughs> like that's a certainty. We know that for sure as of right now. Um, and, uh, and I think, they it doesn't preclude them from going after a guy. I just think it's almost like I kind of compared it in the article to like when they signed CJ Anderson a couple years ago. Um and CJ Anderson took a huge share of the workload, but in it, so that probably wouldn't be the case here or, or I don't even know what would or wouldn't cuz this situation would be extremely rare and extremely um extraordinary if it were to actually come to fruition the way that Sean McVay says he expects it to. Um but provided that spark and that spark being important and kind of carrying the team down the stretch there. And, and I think, you know, you could look at late December, I think more realistically, you're looking at January, middle to late January. And we have to remember too, there's an extra year tacked on as well. So you're, you're looking at um, eligibility options into mid February, you know, if the Rams do put this together. Um, And obviously, you know, this is, them being optimistic about a playoff run and all that stuff too. But it, but it's, it's just fascinating to me that you can have that much confidence in this right now. And it's really, I think what they're doing behind the scenes um, that I believe is, is uh, part of a bigger dialogue on this situation. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how this kind of uh, evolves and the Rams have a little bit of a history of this. I mean, Andrew Whitworth got back on the field uh, when, yeah, there's precedence there here, which I think people yeah. forget. There's a little bit of precedence yeah. here in terms of not the same injury, right. but um, certain things that maybe are being attempted and tried within that building right. um, that previously had not 
you would think it's it's unheard of or yeah, extraordinary. I mean, that, was, that was a good example of it too. So yeah, what a story. And uh, of course, Jordan will be following it throughout. Well, we'll there'll, there'll be little benchmarks along the way too that you'll see when, uh, if and when he's able to get back on the field and able to start running at full speed. Is he going to join the full team at some point? So it's not like going to be one moment where it's like, okay, Cam Akers is back. Uh, th- there'll be little benchmarks along the way. And of course, Jordan uh, will, be, will be following that story all along. But yeah, definitely go check out the story jordan jordan what i got what i like to say is non-podium sean mcveigh which is the (laughs) the coach who uh can yeah that that's a first i think actually yeah for me in terms of an on the record interview off podium um different guy very very (laughs) a little bit of a different you know what not to get on a tangent but most people most people (laughs) are when you and even players when you put them up on the podium very different very, the reaction, yeah. the 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 uh, the answers you get, the reactions you get, very different. Even a guy like Jared Goff, who put him on the podium, and he's just like, "Oh my gosh!" Like he, it's like he's reading from a script or something. Talk to him off the podium, funny guy. Like you know, pretty pretty engaging, nice to talk to. Uh, Sean McVay, definitely definitely a different dude when when he's not at the podium, and I think that's the case with a lot of those those folks. So yes, yeah. and and things that we're we're happy to be able to print in the yes that you can't print and- candidness candidness <laughs> Some and word choice newspapers and word uh, choice definitely would not be yeah. able to. It's uh, like Marshawn Lynch on the on the Manning cast, um, but uh, yeah, it's a great story that everybody needs to go check out. Jordan, we've got to talk about this trade too, but first, um, injury. Oh we, you, but you mentioned Daryl Henderson there too, and yeah. like what's um, he went out for a little bit, uh, and and uh, I would say an uh, an alarming length of of time there, uh, considering how long Sony Michelle is in there, but. Uh, what do we know heading into this uh, Houston week about some of these guys who may have gotten uh, nicked up a little bit uh, against uh, Detroit? Yes. So here was the um, the running list of injuries provided today during the on-podium session um, earlier this afternoon. And it was so uh, we know that Robert Rochelle left the game for a bit um, on Sunday in a uh, at times, nail-biting win against Detroit at home at SoFi. Um, so Robert Rochelle um, has got a knee strain, so he will be limited in practice, um, but he's likely to play um, this upcoming Sunday. Good news for the Rams because their depth at corner is pretty thin as it is as they wait for Darius Williams to come back off short-term IR. Um, left tackle Andrew Whitworth um, dinged up his knee, um, and so he'll be limited in practice this week. Um, not really clear yet whether they're going to hold him out Sunday or not. Um, I think that you definitely need to have him down the stretch. And Joe Noteboom had played solidly in sort of relief against New York when uh, he got sent in, um, you know, kind of in garbage time and and he's a solid player. So they're not, you know, not a total catastrophe there if they have to rest him out of extra caution for an extra week. But we'll see. Well, I just have to see how that goes as, as time unfolds here. Um, Jordan Fuller. Uh, hit his knee as well, limited in practice this week, but he's likely a go for Sunday. Sebastian Joseph Day strained his pectoral. Um, he's going to be limited this week, and status is unknown for Sunday. Um, Terrell Lewis hurt his ribs, going to be limited this week, but he is likely for Sunday. Whew. So that's what I have so far. Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle, both, uh, neither of them showed up on the injury report, but Daryl really took a shot. Um, on a play that Sean McVay actually like kind of publicly apologized for uh, afterward because it just was it was just a dangerous situation to send any player 
into, let alone a running back who'd kind of been dealing with some previous injuries already. So, um, and then Sony Michelle had entered the game dealing with a bit of a banged up shoulder. So, um, you know, it's, we're going to get to it right, right in a second here, but with the trade deadline coming up really fast and the Rams already active, even though, you know, they weren't expected to necessarily be hugely active. And this, this particular one kind of came together really, really last minute. Um, kind of the indication was kind of that like Denver had previously expressed interest in Kenny. Remember they, they grabbed Micah Kaiser off of, uh, off of, uh, the Rams practice squad and put him on their active roster. And it kind of seemed like there was already previous interest in Kenny. And then I think they had another, I'm not certain. I think they had another injury to their linebacker core. Um, and so then kind of, I think that escalated in, into an actual trade situation. Cause I, I would imagine if they looked at Micah, they were at least inquiring into a couple of the other guys on the roster. Um, and Kenny Young being the one that the Rams deemed available. But, but in terms of that, I wouldn't rule out, um, another, another move, but we're kind of going to get to why that might be a little bit more complicated than it seems at, at first glance. But Rich, when that rolls across your screen today, uh, seems like years and years and years ago at this point. But um, what what are your thoughts? Like, what flashes across your, your mind? Uh, surprise. Um, and yeah. I, I assume most people already know what we're talking about here. But uh, the Rams traded, a, traded Kenny Young and a 2024 seventh round pick to uh, Denver for uh, a 2024 sixth round pick. That's all they got for Kenny Young. Um, so I wasn't really looking at the at the return so much, but um, surprise because uh, just watched a game against Detroit where I thought Kenny Young was his usual steady self and went, got, got a little, I, I, while, while you spent much of your day, Jordan, doing very important things like tracking down <laughs> uh, the status of Cam Akers and, and writing a, a, an outstanding breaking news story. I, on the other hand, argued with people on Twitter, which is, which is one of my great talents. You know, I caught some notifications of yours yeah, on that. I saw you pop you popped up on my screen every once in a while. Looks like uh looks like the pot stirring Never. was was no, commencing. No, 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 no. You must have me confused <laughs> with somebody else. Um, but uh, you know, people point out like, oh, Kenny Young, you know, like he's not. And and I, I guess I probably should have qualified that. I'm not saying Kenny Young was an All Pro player, um, but he has been steady for this Rams defense, and he's been steady at a position that is not the strongest, let's be honest. Um, and I don't want to call out anybody in particular. Like, everybody has a bad week. Like, I have a lot of them. A lot of them. But Troy Reader had a bad week. <laughs> Troy Reader had a, had a rough, rough Sunday, okay? And I just looked at that game and I thought, okay, now you're trading Kenny Young? Like, that's that's the follow-up here? Is uh, you, you looked at this position that that kind of Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions were able to exploit a little bit. And now you're trading Kenny Young, the guy who was kind of the, the rock you could say of, of that unit um, makes a little more sense when you look at uh, the fact that Ernest Jones is in the, is in the mix there, Jordan. And I know you, you wrote about that in your analysis that you wrote up. And, and I saw Sean McVay's comments that, you know, they, they used a, a pretty, Decent draft pick on on Ernest Jones. They obviously like him. They obviously want to see uh, uh, what he can do. Uh, but I just and then the obvious follow up question is: Is this leading to something else? 
They also restructured Rob Havenstein's contract a mm-hmm. little bit, which didn't generate a ton of money, and this doesn't generate a ton of money either. Um, but it's, you know, they, they add up. It's a couple million dollars here and there. Uh, I, I think, Jordan, you wrote uh, that it was about $3 million for, for Rob Havenstein. I, I believe that's correct. Mm-hmm. And, and this... 3.1. 3.1, yeah. And, and you also wrote that this would be... Uh, that this trade would clear up about 1.3 to 1.4 million. So in total, you're looking about about 4.5 is 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 the high end of that. So I guess I'll throw it back to you, Jordan, because you you got some insight on this too. I I think the natural follow up from a lot of the fans was, what is there another shoe that's going to drop here? Is this going to be Trader Less making another another move at the deadline uh, to bring in somebody, maybe another linebacker, maybe a cornerback? Um, or is there a little bit deeper context to this that might explain why the Rams had to make uh, what Sean McVay at least called a financially motivated decision? Yeah, I probably would be really stunned and uh, I would say perhaps more critical than I usually am if it were for another linebacker. Um, The Rams... Lineback, the, the Rams' model for inside linebacker is draft, play early, develop, play while cheap, do not pay. Um, so spending any type of, of resource that has so been so hard for them to come by, regardless of, you know, it, it's they're tight, they're up against the cap right now like crazy. Um, they, I would be surprised and probably think it's really weird if they were to bring in another linebacker considering they're not going to pay. And, and, and I saw some hypotheses today about like, well, what if they, what if they got a team to pay X linebacker salary or, or whatever? And that's certainly possible. That's fine. But, but you know, you're not going to pay. They, they don't invest at that position. They don't spend capital other than draft capital. And even then they waited till the third round um, and, and sort of found a guy who let's not forget was Les Snead's favorite pick in the draft, um, in their entire draft class. And that's, he said that publicly a couple of times. And I think like the, the status of a draft pick doesn't really matter, but the fact that it aligns with their team build model to, um, draft and develop guys at this position or un pick up undrafted free agents and develop and play them while they're extremely cheap at a position that they don't necessarily deem as uh, scheme dependent or um, scheme crucial to what they do. Now you have to be a good player and they think Ernest Jones is a very good player. They, you know, Sean McVay in the same breath is saying that it's a fi- it was a financial decision to clear that 1.4 million of space. Like in the same breath, he's saying like, Hey, Troy reader and, and uh, Ernest Jones have to step up. And then he kind of, Several minutes later, remembered Traven Howard's also on the roster and name dropped him as well. But the the first part of it was like, yeah, hey, yeah, that's the guy. Like Ernest Jones, my sense right from the jump, my sense from about, you know, three weeks ago into leading into this entire trade and this situation. I still was surprised by the trade, but my sense had been growing that they just wanted to find more ways to get Ernest Jones on the field. And I, the reason why that's important, again, it's not because he's a draft pick, but it's important because people are like, well, why don't you just reduce? And this is a valid question. I'm gonna, I'm answering it. I'm trying not to sound snarky. It's just that um, I look like the the bedraggled fox meme right now, so um, I'm, I'm trying to not sound critical or snarky in, in that of that question. 
it's um it it it's you can't reduce his playing time to the point where he no longer is able to get you a return on trade. You have to keep him tradable. You have to keep Kenny Young tradable as long as possible um, and and walk that line between you have the trade deadline looming up on you and you also have the fact that um, after the trade deadline, are you comfortable paying the rest of the $1.4 million of his salary? Or, or would you rather have that back at a future pick for a player and then create the room, the field space for the player you need to get on the field anyway. Now, if they would have just reduced his snaps, not only does that tank his trade value, so you're not going to ever get anything return-wise for him. And I don't think it was a great return. I think probably they could have gotten – I mean, Kenny Young is a good player, like, honestly. And and also, those the Broncos are desperate right now. You can't find a freaking Staley Fangio linebacker to save your ass these days. And it's such a small ecosystem. And so, I honestly, I think they could have pushed him a little bit more on it. But I'm not in the room on those. I don't know. But basically, the, the situation was you you're not going to pay Kenny Young – after this season, because you don't pay linebackers, you don't retain guys, you don't extend inside linebackers. You weren't going to pay him, so you're going to let him walk. He's probably not going to get you a comp pick, right? Okay, so understanding that, then you're like, well, how can we manufacture a return on investment for a guy who not only can we offload the salary and create a little bit of extra space, um, which they need for various reasons, not the least of which maybe they're going to bring somebody in, which I don't completely rule out, but also because they've got guys coming up and down from the practice squad that they need to play in games, and that means that their salary increases for those games and they get a game check for those games um, because they have injuries at other positions and they need to bring those guys up and then de-elevate de- them back down. And so in that way, you need to make sure those guys get paid, and that adds up. They've got a lot of those guys most recently Dante Dion, and you've got to make sure that those guys are paid, right? And you're already backed up to the point where Rob Havenstein's contract existed. That restructure existed because there was almost nothing left to re- to open up. They've already opened up every other contract that's available to them other than Matthew Stafford's. And they couldn't open up any more contracts. Rob Havenstein's was like one of the last options for them other than creating money via trade. And so they open that up and okay, then you're going to get those checks off to those guys and that, and then you open up a little bit of extra room because you're going to need other guys to be elevated down the road because of COVID, because of injury, emergency, all this stuff. And then now, you know, you, you can't, you don't have any more money. So, you know, you have to open up that space. And so to them, the prospect of getting, of getting a return on a guy who you weren't going to pay, plus having the money back, plus your rookie who you really happen to like very much and see a lot of potential and probably gets more time on the field to them. Now I'm just speaking through that lens yeah. for me. I, the empathy part of this is, wow, that freaking sucks, man. Cause he worked his ass off to get to where he is and he's a good player. Yeah. But the reality of it is looking at it through that lens is, you know, this to them was a three part decision. I don't buy the, Oh, it was only financial. Right. You know, I don't buy that. I think it was a three part three part situation for all the reasons that I just illustrated. Whew. There's there's a yeah. lot to unpack here. Um Yes. I I I don't like it. I just got to be honest. Like and and I understand maybe the 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 parts of it like they, you know, the needing to elevate the guys and and you know, being out of money and things like that and maybe there's a move you you have to make, but this is already a position that um was not one of strength. And and now what happens? What happens if somebody gets hurt? 
uh, then what do you do? And and you've got Ernest Jones. Well, they don't have Christian Roseboom anymore because he elected to join another team's practice <laughs> <right>. squad <laughs> because he understood that this team does not, right. quote unquote, value right. inside linebackers. Right. So you've got you've got Ernest Jones who got. A good amount of playing time against the Giants. I don't have the chart on that. I believe a lot of it was after the Rams were up uh, fairly big in that game. Uh, Other than that game, he's played a total of 19 snaps in in 19 defensive snaps in in the other six games. And, And now you're asking him to step into a very big role. You're asking Traven Howard, who... Yes, actually, is still on the roster and who has played defensive snaps only in that New York Giants game. He didn't even he didn't get a defensive snap, I believe, if I'm looking at, at PFR's uh, pro football reference numbers correctly. And if, if these are wrong, I, I certainly apologize. I, I didn't look at every uh, every game chart. Um, but needless to say, he has not been a significant contributor. Um, and so now you're asking both of these guys to step in and play a big role. Kenny Young has had a big role on this team. And now you're asking a rookie and a guy who you clearly had behind Kenny Young and who wasn't playing uh, to, to step into this role. If you have to do it, you have to do it. I understand there's, there's only so much you can do. There's only so many guys who you can afford to trade or, or who have that trade value who you can still get something for. So I'm not saying it was an utterly stupid move. Uh, I understand things have to happen, but wow, uh, just really surprising. And Jordan, I don't know if you want to go down this wormhole, but you know what I was arguing about on Twitter today. Yes, I do get notifications. Yeah, I, I, from one rich I'm really Kevin. sorry when people tag you too, <laughs> and it's like I hate when. No, no offense, but like I really hate when people do that to me. Like you get into an argument with somebody else, and then you like tag the tag the third party. It's like keep me out of your fights, will you please? Um, so I, I apologize for your for the collateral damage that you that you might uh, accumulate there. But all right, look, let's just do this real quickly, right? Like okay. They signed Deshaun Jackson and whatever the number ends up being, I think well, how much of it was guaranteed, like 2.5 or 2.7 or something like that. Something low-ish okay. like that. Yeah, two something. But yeah. depending on the escalators, depending on the uh, the bonuses, he could get, well, technically I think he could get up to like six or something like that. But uh, 4.5. Oh, is, oh, is it that low? Okay. I thought if he had hit every I single th- one that it might have been a little higher. There are. But- Maybe those yeah, are already on the are table. Like, I, don't, I don't. I don't know. Um, I think there are certain cash bonuses. Okay. Okay. That. Okay. Yeah. So that. Yeah. Okay. That's probably a cash thing. Yeah. But that cash NFL cash isn't real. They could yeah, literally. They could literally it's print monopoly that. Money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but four point five is is the semi realistic number. Significant. Yeah. Significant. yeah. And, yeah. And, and 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 I. But by the way, I don't like to reduce players to 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 capital. I I think that's kind of dehumanizing um to mm-hmm. and we talk about that with injuries a lot of times right like you you have to think about the human element of it so i'm not trying to do that in this case but i i will say that that what they represent is capital right like salary cap space is capital draft picks are capital and the rams used a lot of both of those they used 
upwards of 4.5 million, at least 2.5 million on Deshaun Jackson. And they used a second round draft pick, which is a lot of capital, especially in a less need drafting team, on Tutu Atwell. Not on an inside linebacker. Not on an inside linebacker. Again, I know the argument you're about to present, and I'm just telling you, they literally presented you with a roadmap of where their priorities are. Oh, I understand. By everything you just said. I understand. I know you understand. I'm just saying for our our listeners, like that statement that Rich just made, that entire statement that he just made. Right. In the context here, I mean, that's that shows you the roadmap. (laughs) So you've got Deshaun Jackson. Upwards of $4.5 million in salary cap space. You've got Tutu Atwell, second round draft pick. Combined, Jordan, and I know you know this, they were on the field on Sunday for a total of five plays. That, to me, is a little bit of a problem. And I got into it, by the way, very respectfully. And I, I loved I loved that Twitter can be a dark, ugly place at times. All of the exchanges that I had on this were very good and very respectful. I didn't have to block or mute anybody. It was great. Um, but the point <laughs> that I was trying to make was not that it wasn't a criticism of the Rams offense. I wasn't criticizing the way that they use Deshaun Jackson or the way that they use Tutu Atwell, although I think we could have those discussions. But the point is, it's not a zero-sum game. It's a salary cap league. It's a salary cap team. Every decision that you make impacts other decisions and they chose to spend that money on Deshaun Jackson who is at best right now their number four receiver who doesn't get on the field hardly they spent a second round draft pick on Tutu Atwell who for some reason Jordan maybe you can explain this to me later when we get into one of our other favorite topics apparently isn't isn't good enough to return kicks at this point um and you're having to, to trade a starting linebacker. And and I know that these aren't hand in hand necessarily. It's not it's not a it's not a one causes the other. But if they had some of that money, or if they had used that second round pick on, I don't know, maybe a position of greater need on defense instead of stacking what was already a pretty strong group of receivers that included Cooper Cup. Robert Woods, Van Jefferson. Instead of adding two more people to that, maybe could have used that money or used that draft pick in a way that would have prevented them from having to trade Kenny Young at this point. Am I crazy? Am I crazy, Jordan? You're never. Cr- I never think you're crazy. I do think this is an entertaining argument to to peel out. I think like one one of these picks is a luxury. Yes. I don't think both are because you look at it in the short term and the long term. One of these picks will play itself out or one of these decisions, not picks because Deshaun Jackson obviously wasn't a draft pick, but one of these decisions that the Rams made will ultimately play itself out to have been a a known luxury. And I don't think we can say that about Tutu yet because he's a rookie. He's missed the first entire first part of camp Uh, with COVID. You know, he had a long road to even seeing the field this year anyway. Um, the Rams have turned Cooper Cup into their deep threat receiver. 
mostly just to spite every single person <laughs> in the world who said that it wasn't possible. He's averaging some, he averaged like 15 and a half yards per catch yesterday. Um, it's insane. Yeah. Um, and they're not really playing Deshaun Jackson very much. Now, I will say that part of part of the interesting thing it, when we're talking about the Rams sometimes will go and and sort of indicate like, you know, this money isn't an issue, money isn't an issue, yada yada yada. But at the same time, um make these moves that make you think clearly like, yes, this is a real thing. You're this is a real problem for you to solve. One of them is the fact that Deshaun Jackson's contract is so heavily incentivized, Rich, and I know we've talked about it before. It's not just incentivized by active on game day roster. Right. It's also incentivized by snap. Right. So 50% plus of snaps in games in which he is active, not just that, quote unquote, and team improves. So it's not just, <laughs> it's not just, there's like a lot of things. Right. That have to happen right. for him to get his full his full paycheck, and one, the most important one in my mind being the the snap share. People kind of continue to overlook that he's not playing a right. lot. Right. Um, he's not he's not missing practice. He's got his management plan and his rest days and all this stuff. He's out on punt return. When he's out on punt return, you could be sure that the man is not injured <laughs> because right. if you're throwing him back in one of the most dangerous situations in football, then um, with you know, 11 people running at you full force, right. like, then no, I, I would, I can pretty, I'm pretty sure you can take from that, that he's not injured. So I think like part of the thing here is that sort of indicates, yes, they're saving as much as they can where they right. can in that regard. And so I think that this move is sort of indicative of that in some ways for the reasons that, that I illustrated above. But I think the argument that you present is, is an interesting one. And it also, forces us to ask of an interesting philosophical questions of question of ourselves that we may not like to ask, which is what do we perceive as a need versus what the Rams ultimately uh, perceive as a need? Great question. And that I think is where the biggest difference in logic lies. And it's a, a bridge I am constantly trying to straddle, but it's like one of those cartoons where I'm Wiley Coyote and I got one foot on one side and the other foot on the other side, and it turns out that it's just the two canyons are moving further and further apart. So you're trying to find a way to like walk that line, and it's just really hard to do sometimes because sometimes it doesn't make sense. But putting yourself in that perspective, and, and I tried to do that earlier today with this trade, is putting yourself in that perspective. You have to ask yourself this philosophical question is, what do you presume, who, and it's not even that. It's kind of like what we were talking about with Jared. It's not even what the Rams as a whole perceive to be a need. Who do the and who do the decision makers with the most weight in that building? First of all, identify them and then ask yourself what would they perceive to be the most important need on this team? So instead of the things that we think maybe are are maybe more um make more sense. Now, now I will say when I do deconstruct from a business perspective, when I do deconstruct that Kenny Young situation. Um, it's a risk still because you're betting that uh, a young linebacker and Troy Reader can sort of close that gap at that drop off that you may get between starter and, and guys who have been rotational players. And so you're betting that they rise to that occasion, which is a tough thing to do. And I think a, comp a risk and a complicated one, but you're also, when you lay out the structure of, of the, you know, the financial reasons and the, um, and the, the fact that even, even because you're paying, you know, 900,000, 
$600,000 checks to guys who you're elevating from the practice squad up and down. I'm not sure of the exact amount, but you're paying a substantially more amount than when they're on the practice squad. Um, and so you're you're incrementally widening that, widening that space and that, that sort of debt that you owe. So now you have to find an incremental way to counter it in a way that's not overreacting, right? But a way that's countering it in a way that's not overreactive and, and sort of handles it and turns it into a net neutral. So that might be... I can understand that. I get that. Especially you weren't going to pay him and all of that. And um, I have nothing but admiration for the way that he climbed his way into that starting role. And I've written about that a lot at The Athletic. I think he's handled himself incredibly well as a leader on the team um, and really, I think, responded incredibly admirably from that incident um, where he was ejected from the game. I think that showed people a lot about his character and um, sort of how he would be valued. Um, and I think he will be valued in Denver. Um, and the thing is, is I can kind of see it laid out like that. But when you look at it in the structure of a team build, Rich, like you were earlier, um, some of the decisions made early on don't necessarily, didn't necessarily reflect the very real crunch that they find themselves in currently. Yeah. Yeah. And it, look, things change too. And, and that, that should always be, Noted. I mean, you can you can anticipate things happening in a certain way, or believe that things are going to happen in a certain way, and then they change on you, and that's just part of life. It's part of certainly part of the NFL. Um, so everybody everybody knows that, and to to expect that things are just going to play out uh, perfectly, it's, it's it's not going to happen. But uh, really interesting stuff there, Jordan, about perception, and and that that is a big part of it, and that was part of what I, I got into. Too and and you know somebody made a, a very fair point, which was to say that well you know that I that I was using a little bit of hindsight to say well it's easy to look at it now and say well they didn't need to Sean Jackson and Tutu Atwell like okay that's that's a fair point but I, I really think that even at the time there there were some I'm not going to say highly raised eyebrows but there were some eyebrows raised when you not only spent quite a bit of money on Deshaun Jackson but then followed that up by using your highest draft pick on a receiver who had a very, you know very similar skill set to to Deshaun Jackson at least the way they were going to be used in that offense i think those questions were raised at that point um so i don't think it's total hindsight there is a little bit i'm not going to deny that uh but when you know you had a defense that had lost michael brockers that had lost troy hill that had lost john johnson and had lost defensive coordinator Brandon Staley, lost Aubrey Pleasant. I mean, to to and and then the Rams' kind of reaction to that was to say, we need to build up the offense. <laughs> we need to we need to take this receivers room that already had Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and Van Jefferson, and now we need to add two more to it. Um, I get it. I understand there was a lot of frustration about the offense last year. I understand that the big focal point was around improving that offense. So I'm not going to do too much backseat driving now. Um, but when you look at it, I, I don't think it's complete hindsight to say that it was a little bit overkill to draft both. Uh, to, I, I did the same thing you did to, to acquire both of those guys um, yeah. in, in the same off season. And I have people saying, well, okay, but it's Deshaun. They're, they're going to save him for the playoffs. They're just arresting him now, and boy, as soon as the playoff come, he's going to be out there. And I'm like, okay, even if that's true, would you rather have that or would you rather have Kenny Young right now? And I think I'd rather have Kenny Young right now. 
uh, in in this situation. So anyway, great debate. I'm glad to I'm glad to keep it going. But um, oh, I'm not oh, done yet. I've got I've more. been googling furiously oh. here. Correct me. Correct me if I'm wrong. The Rams are the defense is uh, allowing uh, 20, 20 points per game. It looks like twenty point nine. They're tied for like seventh place with a couple a couple other teams. They're allowing twenty point. I think this is Seems correct. Right. If if I'm not wrong, if I'm not right about this, someone please let me know. I'm furiously googling in the I'm moment. Just eyeballing the numbers. Now, but they, they they look right. Now we're rolling. It seems yeah. right. Um, okay, so here here's something that was extremely telling that um, Sean McVay said on the Coach McVay show um, this evening, and he said something to the effect of, like, the points per game are is something he's looking at now. Like, he doesn't really sweat the sort of, quote-unquote, this what people call soft coverage. Nobody likes a wobbly ah. tart, Okay. I think a tart, as we know, has a bit of a firm jiggle yes. to it. Firm jiggle yes. is good. We like firm jiggle, right? However, that and that is characterized, of course, by the fact that they play with the roof over the top of the defense and they play from depth and they come downhill and all this stuff. Sometimes I would argue, Sean, that there is too much wiggle in the tart and you're the 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 coverage is a little bit too soft and I don't think I'm alone in sharing that segment sentiment. Like I think, of course, I believe in the ph- philosophical structure of this defense. I've argued this for months and if not over a year at this point that I completely agree with the philosophy of this defense um, in terms of how certain coverages are structured in the moment execution wise and maybe some of the calls and all of that. Like, no, I don't think it's completely where it needs to be. And I think at times the philosophy starts leaning from assertive into that way grayer, looser territory that veers a little too much over into Tampa 2 that I don't want to live in that world. And I don't think the Rams should want to live in that world either. But you are going to have some air in the coverage. You just are. You are, because that's how they play. They play from depth. They play with overhangs, and they do rotations, and they do these shells, and that's what they do. And there's 20.9 points a game they're allowing. And I think that that was really telling that Sean McVay said he doesn't sweat some of that softer coverage stuff. He doesn't sweat it. And he's looking uh, at turnovers slash takeaways, and he's looking at points per game. And I'm, of course, paraphrasing him. And I wonder, Rich, that begs the question as we talk about this entire conversation as a whole in terms of where the Rams' salary structures have Mm. gone. They've gone to two impact change-making players on their defense and nowhere else, essentially. Well, three now because you count Leonard Floyd, who I would imagine, who I can argue has held – an immense impact, even though it doesn't always show up on the stat sheet. But that is a piece that is coming later this week at theathletic.com. Stay tuned. Anyway, so I think that that you could that those three players, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, those are the guys who get you those things, the turnovers, the takeaways, the things that is like one half of your main priority to stat sheet. And then the the other thing is also, you know, the points scored. And they're doing fine in that regard. And that's what he's looking at, or that's what he's arguing that he's looking at. It's much deeper than that in those meetings. That is what he's arguing that they're looking at, and that's what mostly concerns him, right? So this begs me to wonder about how sort of all in the Rams have gone as a model to, and particularly, and you can see this sort of mirrored in their team build, to the way the league, of course, in itself is also shifting toward there there are 
crazy amounts of points being scored, and they're being scored on defenses that are strong and stout. Brandon Staley's defense is giving a lot of points this yeah. year. Nick Fangio's defense is giving up, up a lot of points this year. And so I think that it's it's an interesting question to me. It's almost like how have teams reprioritized internally the team builds, and how does it lead to decisions such as the ones that we're facing now where on a normal team that has some cap space and after a normal year that wasn't sort of um, imploded by the pandemic shrinking the salary right. cap, you wouldn't be able to see these margins so clearly. You wouldn't be able to see some of these things that they're up against in terms of that process so sort of um, highlighted and, and in bold font because they'd sort of be hidden in the in the shuffle of like, oh, well, we have, we can counter this. This is fine. But everything seems to be really exaggerated. And it, it begs, it sort of, to me, shines a light on that question of, how they've rearranged their priorities and how they've shifted overall that team build and, and that mental model. And I don't think that, you know, I, I don't think that you can go out and hire like a defensive innovator and not also believe in the side of the defense. But remember what we know about Sean McVay and what we know is that in part he hired Brandon Staley so that he could have the defense and compete against it and build his right, offense. Right, right. So, you know, that's also something that we know. So I, I think, you know, this is a much broader point than the very good points that you're making in terms of the decisions being made and the overreactions maybe in certain cases. And and that's absolutely right. fair. But And I also kind of pair what you're saying to what Sean McVay mentioned like a week ago. He knew Stafford was going to be good. He didn't know he right, would be this right. good. So what if you're putting a little bit too many fixes maybe into your offense because you just aren't aren't quite sure what you have yet, which I think is understandable and right. fair. But now that you know, you can use Cooper Cup as a freaking right. deep threat because your quarterback's going to make these insane throws downfield to him. Robert Woods, insane throws to Van Jefferson. Like, okay, you know, what did you, you know? And and the other argument too, the other thing point that I would make, I know we've got to move on and we're just getting off the off the rails here again, which is fine. Um I think that really, if Deshaun Jackson catches two to three deep balls in the playoffs um, and then sets up that statistical advantage, which we know explosive plays manufacture a two to three time probability of scoring on the end of that drive just off of one explosive, right. and it's a 50% increase if there's two explosives, right. like you, you're paid for. Like that's, you've lived up to your contract in those types of situations. So that's what I mean when I say like one of them is a luxury right. pick. I do believe right. that. I'm not sure which one it is yet. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that, and and I understand that yeah. argument too. By the way, and if they get there, there I think there's yeah. a couple you know steps that that you, you first you have to put yourself in those big games. You know, you have to put yourself in that right. in that divisional round game or that you know conference championship or the Super Bowl, and and then you act you have to do that. But if those things happen, and if if what you just said, Jordan, happens, I mean, if you get to the NFC Championship game. And Deshaun Jackson makes a, a 60 yard catch that changes the tide of the game. Yeah, it's worth it. And I'll be the I'll be the yeah. first to tell I'll be the first to say that too. Um, well, I have notifications on great. for you, so I will see it when yes, you Yes, I will I will be sure to tag you so that you can see it too. Uh, I can see all the mentions that yes. ensue. Great. After that. that must yeah. be a joy. Yeah, That'll that be must good. Be a joy. That'll be good yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I, it's, it's really fascinating. And you're right, Jordan. We, we could probably talk for two hours about team building and, uh, you know, about how, how you spend your money in, in this era and how that evolves even, you know, year over year. Like it's 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 something that seems to be evolving so quickly and changing so quickly um, that it's just fascinating. So maybe that's a good topic for us to get into um, uh, some other time. But uh, yeah, 
Maybe after Houston week, depending on how Houston goes. There you if it go. goes the way that I think it's yeah. going to go, if it goes the way that I think it's going to go, then that might be a good week for it. Now, if it goes the way that I initially thought Detroit was going to go oh, and then Detroit didn't go, uh, you know, that that might be uh, that might require some unpacking. And, and I, you know, it was funny, Rich, too. I mean, the situation, of course, not funny to the Rams at the time. I mean, wild situation, you know, the the um the lions sort of marched down the field again via explosive catch and run jalen ramsey later um sort of took responsibility on that play he came off the edge really hard against jared goff on a zero and uh they jared knew that the rams would try to do the thing against him that like ruined his life last year <laughs> and so they uh he, they designed a, a little outlet for him uh to be able to beat that that play and it was DeAndre Swift and Jalen Ramsey said afterward that he should have stayed on the screen player, which was Swift instead of go all out toward Jared. Um, Jared got the ball off to him and it was a 63 yard catch and run for a touchdown. Then an onside kick recovery hmm. that got them the ball back. Then a fake punt. And then later in the later in the series, later in the game, another fake wow. punt occurred, Rich. And it's just crazy to see that kind of uh those kinds of things happen on special teams, but it put the Lions up with a lead the first time when they returned to the field after recovering that onside kick. That was the first time all season that the offense has taken a oh. snap with a lead. And the Rams, that onside kick was the was the start to a really, really bad day for the Rams special teams unit. And it, and as Sean McVay said, it almost changed the outcome of the game. Oh, for sure. Because, you know, Jordan, and as I was watching the game, if you look, take special teams out of the equation, which I'm sure a lot of Rams fans wish they could uh, in most weeks. But if you, if you look at Rams offense versus Detroit defense, Detroit offense versus Rams defense, there wasn't anything that concerned me there for the Rams. Like, I, I feel like if they played that game out, the Rams were, were going to be fine. Um, but they kept making, well, Detroit, depending on how you look at it, Detroit made the plays and the Rams flubbed them. Uh, these, these plays that just kept Detroit, gave them the lead, allowed them to extend the lead, allowed them to hang around. And that was the kind of thing that was going to turn that game. Uh, it, it wasn't going to be the, the Lions going toe-to-toe with the Rams because that just that wasn't a matchup that was going to go in the Lions' favor. They needed a few of these things to go their way. And sure enough, they did. They, you know, everything that they tried pretty much uh, pretty much worked and, and they were in a position. You, you just can't have that. Um, and Kept the ball out of Matthew Stafford's That's exactly what they wanted to do. Until yeah. seven, seven minutes left in the first Unbelievable. quarter. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, and and yeah. I don't know whether I, I saw Sean's comments after the game where he said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but said something to the effect of, yeah, we, we, we expected that they were going to do that stuff. Um, it's just, we, didn't, we didn't stop it. I'm like, I, I don't know whether you see that as a, something you should take solace in or whether that should scare you even more, uh, the fact that they were on the lookout for I mean, how do you get beat by two fake punts? In the same game. I mean, <laughs> once you get the first one, don't aren't you just hyper uh, hyper aware of, of of that situation? And uh, yeah, it just it was it was shocking. It was really shocking to me, Jordan. Um, I believe on the second one they only had ten men oh, on no. the field, so not to dig the knife in even oh, more. No. They're rich, but uh, like here's the thing. Here's the thing. These guys are just not. They've not been consistent. Yeah. Now, now I can say, I can say up and down things about the defense and and uh 
again, we're, when we're talking about what the parameters of evaluation are within the building, it would seem, especially when you're trading your starting linebacker away, it would it would seem that they believe that they're doing um, the job that that's being asked of them on defense. We knew that there would be some regression. We knew that, uh, and there has been, we knew that things would look different in certain phases. And I, as I alluded to our favorite metaphor earlier, like you're seeing it um, in, in certain phases and for better, or for worse, that seems like how it's going to be. Um, defense certainly was not perfect. Four of their, the, uh, the Lions six total third down conversions came on a single drive late in the game where you absolutely need to stop. And luckily for the Rams, Jalen Ramsey sort of took matters into his own hands at that point. Um, but other than that, you know, uh, we're pretty limiting. They, the pressure was getting there, 17 pressures on Jared Goff. Um, Leonard Floyd had four of them. Um, getting hands and throwing lanes, being really physical. A couple weird calls also. Like the whistle was coming in real late, in my opinion, like for some plays. And then they were, then other times way too early, blowing free plays dead and things like that. Weird officiating this game. Um, you know, certain things that the defense, you could see, you know, may, maybe certainly the, the, the catch and runs are, not good. And certainly the, um, you know, some of the tackle angles on the explosive runs, the explosive runs certainly came at the wrong time. Cannot start at a, with a first and 20 and allow a team to convert ultimately a third and 11 draw play on you. Cannot happen. Cannot simply cannot happen. They were, they were going to score if Jalen Ramsey did not intercept. I mean, that's where, that's what the game felt like at that point is Jared Goff and the Detroit offense was going to score at that point. But you also saw really good things in terms of the pressure and how complete it was, how cohesive it was. Um, I thought they did a good job of that, rushing rushing guys from different alignments. And and the coverage is going to be what it's going to be right now, guys. Like, it just – you've got Dante Dion and David Long in, you know. uh, David Long, the player who, you know, you hope that he gets better and, you know, great guy. And you really hope that he can he can put it together and especially if guys are injured. But but let's not forget either uh, Dante Dion started over David Long when the Rams played the Giants and Dante had just been elevated from the practice squad. Dante Dion, I think, has been playing good football. And, you know, you're you're doing a lot of things with a very different looking secondary. Uh, as noted, Jordan Fuller got banged up but had to stay in the game. So, you know, that's as noted at the beginning of the podcast. So that affects things, of course, as well. Um, Nick Scott got banged up and had to come back in. That affects things as well. Um, so so that that's going to be what it's going to be. And there I am going on a rant again. The offense, I could speak glowingly about, to be honest with you, 17 points, um, on their first three possessions. Um, I don't really have an issue with really much of what they did other than that horrible decision on fourth and one that Matthew Stafford made after Sean McVay made the right call to go for it and added 5.1% win probability um, to his team's effort, by the way, in doing it. So please keep doing that. However, a uh, terrible decision to throw that ball instead of take the yards and one that he referenced at the end of the game. Um, outstanding, incredible game by Cooper Cup. The Rams were running really cool things uh, on some of those touchdowns and the two-point conversion. Cooper Cup had something like 156 yards. Robert Woods had like 70. Van Jefferson had a touchdown. He's already beating his his rookie totals. Like these guys are are starting to click into place on offense. I thought the line did a good job. Um, these guys are starting to click into place. So all that to say, special teams has been 
just pinballing every single week, but it never got to the point where you really felt like it would cost them a game. And on Sunday, it felt like you, it really felt like you'd cost them a game. And I see a lot of comments and I was not here for the John Fossil years. And I, I am sure they were exciting and I'm sure he rocked to cover. He seems like a great dude. However, you don't need things like fake punts. You don't need necessarily to have all the fancy stuff first. You need the substance first. You need the foundation. And the the floor that the Rams needed to establish by get bringing in a third special teams coordinator in three years, and by the by the way, the last one's still on the damn payroll. <laughs> um, but the 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 floor that you need to establish is consistency, yeah. and they cannot even do that there in the basement. Yeah, I mean, and look, you you can talk about execution, but when you're putting ten players on the field, I mean, there's, some, there's clearly some type of breakdown there. I, I don't know what happened there. It doesn't matter. But it, that, that speaks to something a little bit bigger than just, oh, somebody missed an assignment or, or something like that. So I, I don't know. They, you've got to get that cleaned up, though. I mean, we joke. We've been joking for a year on this podcast about special teams, but it will cost you. Oh, I have. I'm not joking. <laughs> Jordan is dead <laughs> serious about special teams. Um, and by the way, Matt Gay. Ab-tast. Matt Gay did come through with that pretty big. He was abtastic. Uh, <laughs> 40, Real podcast listeners yes, will get that. Fantastic. Forty-seven <laughs> yard field goal. I mean, the way that was shaping up, I was like, this this is perfect either way. I mean, at the end of this dreadful special teams game, he's either gonna drill this, you know, field goal to clinch the game, or it's gonna get blocked and returned, and and that's how Detroit's gonna win. Um I I could see that going either way. Uh but look, you, you you, you talked about the pinball and this stuff. You, you can't. You can't let that happen. I mean, even the even down to the end, Ben Skrulonic in there in a, in a tough situation, I guess. He's not he's not used to doing that in the NFL. But the, the, the bad field position that the Rams got put in because I, some of those returns and I don't know, at one point he was like, he looked like he like dove for like the 15-yard line. I wasn't exactly sure what was going on on, on a couple of those. Uh, but little things like that. I mean, can can cost you when you when you're going to play some of these teams. Tennessee coming up in two weeks when you, when you have to play Arizona again when you have to play Green Bay. I mean, these these are going to be games that are going to come down to these kind of little things. And wow, I mean, uh, it was pretty shocking to see uh, in a game when you expected it. In a game when you expected that that, New, that excuse me, Detroit was probably going to come out and, and do some weird stuff, knowing that that they couldn't go toe-to-toe with the Rams. Uh, and and still, and still they were able to, to pull them off very effectively. But yeah, Jordan, I, I agree with you. The Rams offense, uh, you, you look at it and say, oh, it was only 28 points. But but they... Uh, they didn't have the ball for the first seven minutes of yeah, the first quarter. And, and I mean, I don't ten, know what you want to do. You're in a 10-0 hole yeah. like, before, you even, before you even touch the ball. Um, that completely changed their play, their plan. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Matthew yeah. Stafford was great. Um, and you know, he's, you, you wondered about him because he's had some of these first quarters where it's kind of like, eh, looks like he takes a little while to play himself into it. And I thought about that when the Rams got down 10 to nothing as well, Matthew Stafford, you know, struggles here on these first couple drives. They could, they could really be in trouble. Um, but, but they were able to, to get, to get on it, uh, pretty quick there. And, and he was great. Cooper cup, of course, was great. Uh, Robert Woods got him going. It was another one of those where it was like, where's Robert Woods in, in the first quarter, the first little bit. And then uh, they, they established him and, and he does what he does. Tyler Higby uh, made some big catches. So um, yeah, I didn't, didn't think there were, there were any issues there, but, uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, Detroit had the ball 
uh, with with a chance to take the lead in in the last five minutes. And like you said, they were there. They were they were one play away from making it. And instead, you know the 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 uh, the mega force of of Aaron Donald getting the pressure and and Jalen Ramsey coming up with the interception uh, prevent that from happening. But Look, that was not a situation uh, that anybody thought the Rams were going to be in. And, and you can't take Sunday lightly either. You look at the Houston Texans and say, oh, they're mm-hmm. a mess. You know, you're, it's, that's going to be an easy win. Well, you, you just don't know. And, and if you make these mistakes, then, then it's going to come back and haunt you at some point. Yeah, it can't. these things can't cost you that in that way. And I think that's why we've talked about it. Like the thing that's really interesting and I think fans can really hang their head on and think is is pretty cool about this team is that it hasn't recognized its full potential yet. The thing that I think is a little bit uh, maybe worrying is that it seems like they're trying to make every mistake oh they possibly goodness. can as they as they figure out what that potential is. And so I think, um, you know, in these types of games, these winnable games, this sort of inhale that they're taking before the really arduous months of November and December – and some of the guys, the opponents that are that are looming on the horizon, I think, um, you know, it's 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 important. It's it's important to to learn from all of these things. And I, I think that they will. Um, I, I really think that everybody just wanted to get this particular game behind them. Uh, Matthew Stafford even admitted to that while saying some very nice things about the city of yeah. Detroit in the process. Um, a lot of people came out to support him. But, yeah, it's just, you know, it, that's the thing. You 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 look at the special team. The inconsistency is the problem. It's the problem in every phase. You can't have a breakdown like the defense had on that last drive that the Lions were sort of putting together. You can't have that. Uh, there's been a couple of times where the the offense this year has just not put it together. Can't have those inconsistencies either. Right. So the the potential is there, and I think you see it in two of the three phases. Now, I will say I do see potential on the special teams unit. In practice, I stand behind those guys. It's really the only thing that we're able to watch every day, right? Because they they go to special teams first, and then they revisit it later on. But they do special teams first, and then they do stretching, and then our time is up, right? So you see who's there, who's not there. You see what sort of state everybody's in, and you see special teams. And those guys work really hard, and they're coached really hard. But on game day, it's just not you, – you see nothing right. um, other than Matt Gay, you know, when he when he has a good day. Like, you just see nothing – That and Johnny Hecker being Johnny Hecker and all of that. Like, you, you just don't see it in the return phases. You see more things that you're maybe worried about than you see consistency in general. And it comes from everything from failure to establish a cohesive punt and kick returner. Yeah. Um, comes from that. It comes from coverages and blocking. And Sean McVay was like – Said straight up today, I don't care who's at kick return. Our blocking was too bad, was bad enough that it didn't matter. Right. I'm like right. okay, fair enough. All right, yeah. but you know things like that. So teams will teams will try to capitalize on that. You don't want to the margins get slimmer and slimmer. You don't want to lose in that phase, obviously. Um, but Rich, I, I kind of want to go out on like a positive, right? You know, like it's been a where it's it's what it's we're entering what week week wow. eight. I mean, my God, I kind of want to like put some, like burn some sage in the room or something like that. You know, like you kind of want to do it. So I think I want to, I want to, I'm putting you on the spot here. So listeners know that I'm putting him on the spot because who knows what will come out of his mouth. I'll go first. So you have time to think of it. Okay. But I want to, one cool thing, one neat thing, one thing that you thought as an unbiased observer, you were like, ah, that's pretty rad. Like just, just, yeah. From the game. And, 
Okay. From the game or from the week, the prior week, okay. whatever, okay. anything okay. like that. So my my one cool thing, I'll go first because I want you to, you know, just make sure I'm not being too terribly mean okay. to you. Um, my one cool thing is, so the Rams, Cooper Cup's touchdown, uh, the little two-yard touchdown, the first one was a, a shield slant. It's called a yeah. shield slant. It's a legal, a legal yeah. yes. found, legal pick yes. play. I wouldn't even maybe call it a pick play. It looks like a pick play, but it's legal. Uh, because it's within a five-yard sort of space and, and all of that, right? Um, and it's really cool because, first of all, there are layers to this. So the Rams have been running this play for a while. They used to run it on a shotgun. That's how the play is sort of originally designed. You will notice the Seahawks ran a shield slant in the Super Bowl. The infamous goal line pick was a shield slant. And by the way, it happened to be run out of shotgun because that's the original iteration of this play. That's how Sean McVay offenses had been running this play was out of shotgun. And um, there are two cool things about this. One pertains to the quarterback and one pertains to the receiver. So as you'll note, and hopefully you guys read my and Mike Sando's piece on Matthew Stafford and all the different things they're doing pre-snap and, and post-snap and changing changing the, the previous existing structure of this offense into something very, very different indeed. Um, but the Rams pulled at this thread of this play and decided, you know what? It's actually increases the probability success rate of this play if we run it from under center instead of the shotgun because that way, naturally, the ball comes out of the quarterback's hand faster. Well, combined with the fact that Matthew Stafford is um, among the quickest throw rates, um, you know, time to throw rates in the league right now, and especially from under center, um, that became that becomes important. When you can get the ball out of your hand on that play uh, just a little bit quicker than you normally would when you don't have the windup of the shotgun, the defensive back holds for a little bit behind the shield and help can't get over in time um, to, quote unquote, make a play on the ball, which is what you saw um, when the Seahawks threw that pick. So the play successful because it's a higher probability efficiency success rate because of the very small thread that they pulled at pre-snap. The other thing that's cool about this play is that it shows the progression of receivers in this offense. Cooper Cup used to be the shield player. He used to be the guy who blocked for the other guy, um, whom it was dependent upon to create that sort of shield. And I called it in my column, I called it like a Peloton draft because it literally you're creating like a bubble of safe space. <laughs> like so that the guy can like sort of duck and like sneak behind you and then shoot forward when he needs to. So Van Jefferson is that player. Well, Van Jefferson has now been adding blocking responsibilities such as this into his arsenal in his second season. So now he becomes the blocking player and Cooper Cup, who was previously blocking for Sammy Watkins and Brandon Cooks in this specific play that I asked him about at postgame. And he, this is how I, I learned this very cool thing. He used to be the guy who blocked for them wow. and they would score the touchdown. Now Cooper Cup is the one scoring the touchdown and Van Jefferson is blocking for him. And the cycle continues. Nature it's is the pretty The circle neat. of life. As they yes. say. Yes. Okay. What's your cool um, thing? Yeah. The, the, before you, mean, well, the the um, I don't know whether you'd say cool, but the funniest thing uh, was certainly Jared Goff throwing the pass to the offensive lineman who who uh, somehow yes. caught it and thought that that was going to be a play that and he then was goes gonna, ah. yeah. So um, <laughs> not that, but certainly certainly hilarious. Uh, not not for the Lions, but. Uh, but before you mentioned uh, Van Jefferson there, he was the first thing that came to mind because I loved his touchdown catch. And mm -hmm. it was something that we, we've seen Van Jefferson start to make some plays in, in different areas of the field. But it, it was one aspect that I don't think 
um, he's really shown yet. And not that he couldn't do it. It's just that he hadn't shown it yet. And uh, it's something that I think Rams fans could be really excited about is I'm, I'm trying to remember the play in my head as, as I as I talk here. But um, he, he kind of he made a nice turn on the ball. He knew exactly where the ball was. Uh, he, he made a nice turn and, and elevated very nicely. It was a great throw by Matthew Stafford, too, we should say. Uh, but great ball awareness by, by Van Jefferson to know it was coming, to know when it was coming, to turn at the right time, to really elevate over whoever that cornerback was and, and make a catch that's not an easy catch and, and to keep himself in bounds, too. So it struck me as the kind of play that uh, was certainly good in the moment and something that the Rams, I, I think, can take a lot of uh, optimism about that. If you can go back to something like that, I think it was a 10 yard touchdown, uh, 11 yards, 11 yard touchdown. So if you can get down there again, when you're maybe inside the 15 or inside the 10, uh, that, that can be a weapon. Now you don't always have to look at Cooper cup. You don't always have to look at Tyler Higby or whoever it may be. Um, was really encouraged by that. And, uh, it looks like in, a nice progression in, in Van Jefferson's game. Yeah, contested catches. Yeah. That's something we talked about or lack thereof a lot a lot of times in 2020. Uh 2020. What, yes, what a time. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. Like you said, it's going to be another must win. We're going to um a must win and a should win and sometimes it doesn't always go as we saw, it doesn't always go the way that you expect it to go in the moment. Um, but the Rams uh, traveled to Houston. I will be there uh, providing dispatches and drinking all the coffee in the Halloween city. in Houston. Um, Halloween in Houston. Can't think of a place I more wanted to celebrate. Yeah. Um, You'll be there and, during the yeah, actually, during the World I, Series, although they'll they'll be in Atlanta. Yeah, so, so. and I know we've got Dodgers fans here on the yeah. podcast, so I'm sorry. I don't mean yeah. to. Uh, I don't want to. Don't want to put salt in the wound at all. I, it's kind of a tough tough scene there. Um, and uh, probably will not be catching any baseball while no. I'm there, but uh, hopefully we'll get some candy at there some point somewhere. Uh, Houston Press Box, actually, they usually they used to put out candy oh, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll see. But anyway, I, I I'm excited to bring you guys the coverage. Um, Rich, as usual, what a pleasure getting into deep philosophical debates and and life cycle conversations <laughs> with you. Yes. Is there very. is there ever anything more enjoyable for us to do late on a no, Monday night? It's very lion. <laughs> after two breaking after two breaking news situations for the Rams. But anytime you want to anytime you want to catch Rich's uh often pot stirring debates on Twitter, you can follow him on Twitter at Rich underscore him, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jordan Rodrigue. Um, and where else? Where? What else? What else? Uh, what else we got going on over there, Rich? Three and zero in the, in the bone and uh, blue and bone uniforms. That's a winning combination. Yeah. You'll see that again. I'm I'm certain of it. So yes. Very very exciting. Um. So yeah, Jordan. If you want all the if you want the breaking news, if you want the great stuff from Sean McVay, if you want the the great uh, in depth story about Leonard Floyd, follow Jordan. If you want the inane. Um, sarcasm, you can follow me. So it's, it's, it's what works out great. I don't do any of the work. Uh, Jordan Jordan does all the work. Um, so can't, can't wait <laughs> to see uh, what this week brings and hope you have a good trip to Houston. All of our subscribers appreciate you already. But in case, in case, Jordan, <laughs> there are a few people who have not yet joined The Athletic, they should go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel. And they will get Jordan's favorite thing in this entire world, which is what? A great discount, you guys. 
Favorite thing in the world. Do you love how much drama and suspense Rich now adds to that? I think you got a little jealous that I've been really milking the intro. I've been really going yeah. hard in terms of the the deep pause and the and the the soulful, you know, introduction right. there at the beginning. And so I think Rich Rich has added his own flair here to the end. But you guys can get a great discount. My favorite thing in the world. If you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast, every single time you can get a great discount. You guys, we sure love having you with us. Uh, Keep sending the jokes, the comments. You guys, at this point, when I ask for reaction gifs after a win, some of you guys are sending me tart tart (laughs) gifs uh, of wobbly tarts and custards. Uh, I quite, you know what? I quite enjoy that. I thought I'd be kind of grossed out by it, but I'm not. You know, I kind of enjoy, I even surprised myself there. So we will catch you guys next week. And as always, it's been a pleasure. 